Let me encourage you to find the way, your way in your Bible to the Gospel of John chapter 8. The passage this morning is verses 37 through 47. John 8 verses 37 to 47. And as we continue to hear and see our Lord teaching uh, there in the temple uh, right after the, the Feast of Tabernacles. Have you ever heard the expression, oh, I'd love to be a fly on the wall uh, for that conversation? That's not the best. When I see a fly on a wall, what is your first impression? Let's, let's flatten that thing and try not to stain the wall. But, uh, but, but in other words, sometimes you just, boy, I wish I could listen in that conversation. Uh, whenever I've been in situations where maybe a well-known speaker, professor is uh, lecturing, I like to just go and listen to some of the conversations around. I was describing recently how I, kind of a famous pastor and theologian, I had breakfast with him. Now, he didn't know that because I was in the booth next to him at the restaurant. And, and actually, I didn't hear his conversation. There wasn't any conversation going over there. I think it was taking, he, he and the kids were on their way to school, and they were just grabbing a quiet meal. But here's my point. We're sitting here in Terrell 2,000 years later, but with the Gospel of John, we can kind of be that fly on the wall. We can listen in on a conversation Jesus Christ had with opponents and critics What a time it was, how tense it would be. And yet we hear our Lord's wisdom and his truth in verses 37 to 47 of John chapter 8. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of, you are of your father, the devil, and the de desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear, because you are not of God. <laughs> Jesus begins by saying, I, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me. In, a in our previous passage, um, they had claimed that Abraham was their father. And so here he's acknowledging it. They said that back in verse 33. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say that you'll make us free? Remember that 
the, the remarkable claim that uh, they've never been in bondage, which of course is out of touch with history. But they, they claim to be Abraham's father, and he says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants. Uh, the Jewish people are of the promised line of Abraham. He acknowledged that. But then he goes on to say, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Yes, you're descendants of Abraham, but you're, but you're seeking to kill me. My word has no part in you. So he starts pointing to what he's going to try and draw out in, these passage, in this passage. There's a disconnect. You claim to be of Abraham, and yet your actions are inconsistent with that. If you're descendants of Abraham, but you reject the Messiah who was the promised one through Abraham. You reject Jesus and claim Abraham, and really those two can't go together. And then he says, and you want to kill me. It's not just, well, I don't like your ideas. They want to kill him. They're already plotting it. Now, again, in the time frame of Jesus' ministry, he, this is about six months out. Uh, in about six months, there in Jerusalem where he is now, but in six months later, he'll be back for the, for the feast of Passover, and that's when he will be executed. But the plotting was already there. How do we get rid of this problem? How do we kill him? And why is it they want to kill him? Why is it they reject him? He says, because my word has no place in you. Which is kind of an interesting way of saying um, his teaching, his, the truth he's giving them is not welcomed. It, it, it just doesn't fit in their hearts. It's kind of like trying to put a round peg into a triangular hole. It just, it just doesn't go. Kind of like if I ever I try and struggle with a jigsaw puzzle, sometimes I think if you just hit it harder... It'll become the right piece. It, it doesn't go there. And so what he's saying is, your heart has no place for the truth of who Jesus is. It doesn't fit. Of course, uh, I, I mentioned, I think, on Wednesday night, it reminds me of the, the song you know, about Bethlehem. There was no room found in the inn. And Jesus, when he came, there was no room in Bethlehem. And here that now... Five miles north, 30 years later, there's no room in the hearts of the people, so many of them. Verse 38, he says, I speak what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. When they reject, and what he's trying to make clear is, they are not just, in rejecting Jesus, they are not just rejecting Jesus, they are rejecting God's truth, and in doing that, they're rejecting God. The God of Abraham is the one who gave Jesus the message that he is speaking to them. And so he's trying to say and make clear, they're, re they're rejecting not just Jesus, but God and his truth. That's some things we have to again and again try and make clear to people when we're sharing biblical ideas and biblical truths. They're not our ideas. We might even admit that, frankly, those aren't the, that's not the way I would design it. That, those aren't the answers I would write. But the truth is not what I want it to be. The truth is absolute. It's reality. And, God's, and, and so what he's saying is this is God's truth. And so when you're rejecting Jesus, you're rejecting God. 
And when we are presenting the biblical message to people, it's not me or you they're rejecting. Ultimately, they're rejecting God because it's his word. And that's what Jesus is saying. And notice what he says. I have seen what I have seen with my father is what he's telling them. That word with is kind of interesting. It has the idea of being alongside of. Uh, you know, I don't know the pictures. Maybe you're watching someone working on a workbench and you're, and you're with them and you're watching them working away. You know, that's, that's about as close as you can get. To those, I, what I am telling you, I received when I was with the Father. Uh, you know, they might think, you know, for example, sometimes they might ask the question, well, you had a, a, a dream. Remember Joseph when Bethlehem, God spoke to him through a dream. Flee with the baby. Uh, Herod's trying to kill you. Uh, sometimes uh, God just kind of spoke in the heart. And you always might wonder, how did they know it was really of the Lord? Well, Jesus is saying, this isn't just a dream. This isn't a, a voice I heard. I was in the presence of God when these truths were communicated. It doesn't get more, uh, more reliable and certain a fact. This is, this is directly from God's presence. Have you ever, maybe someone has told you, well, so-and-so said this. Well, how do you know that? Well, so-and-so told me that so-and-so told them that so-and-so told them. And the, the more links there are, the less you're likely to hopefully take anything of that seriously. And probably the best thing you can do is pick up the phone. Well, we don't pick up phones anymore. We, we text. Did you really say? But no, if we go to the source. But if someone says, I was there when he said this. I was there when that happened. Okay, well, that's what Jesus is saying. I was there. Notice, he contrasts it. I am telling you what I, I, I saw from the Father in his presence. You do what you've seen from your Father. And so he's saying their Father is wrong and out of touch with the truth. He's, he's holding up a contrast. Are you going to follow your Father or are you going to follow my Father? They understand his message and they reply with a passion. But what he's saying is, you do what you've seen from your father. You're just, you're showing your father's influence in rejecting me. And he's going to develop who is that father. But that whole concept of you do what you've seen your father do. I just recently heard an example of, uh, of this. Uh, someone was uh, moved into a new home, an electrician came in and did all the wiring. And uh, someone came in later and was you know, in their home and said, I know who your electrician was. Barb was telling me this story and I started thinking, hmm, how did they, did they see the coloring of the wiring? And of course the question is, how did you know? Every outlet plate, every switch plate, every screw is, is the slot is vertical, exactly vertical. And I know who does that. And actually, he started the company, but his, no, he's no longer with us. And so it's his son or grandson that's doing it. And so here it is, two, three generations later, every screw is, every screw is exactly vertical. And, and so that traces back to the father. What happened? How did that happen? Does that make the electric, is that something they learned in physics that makes the electricity work better? No, but, but that's, he's, they, they, they're doing what they saw their father do, right? And so what, what, what Jesus is saying is, you're, in trying to kill me, in rejecting the truth, 
you're doing what you saw your father do. I know who your father is because I see what you're doing. Like father, like son. Well, he goes on then in verses 39 to 44, but in verse 39 and 40, he says, but they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. What, you have a problem with Abraham? (laughs) Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, Abraham did not do this. You did not learn this from Abraham. So they, they hear when he's saying, you're, you're behaving like your father. They understand that's critical. And they're saying, wait a minute, Abraham's our father. And Jesus had already said, yeah, you're descendants of Abraham. But now he says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. What's he doing there? One minute he's saying, you are children of Abraham. The next minute he's saying, you're not children of Abraham. Which is it? This is Jesus' typical way, isn't it? Uh, You need to be born again. Well, I can't be born again. Uh, No, no, I'm not talking about being born again. I'm talking about being born again. You need water, but not the water you pour out of a pitcher. And so here he's talking about a fatherhood. He's using a a concrete idea, but using it to teach a spiritual truth. Yes, Abraham is your genetic father. Abraham is your your genetic descendants of Abraham. But you are acting like your spiritual father. Spiritually, you are not acting like Abraham's children. And so... Um, What they're saying is, if the Jews were spiritual children of Abraham, it would show in their character and conduct. But their works deny his fatherhood. He could easily say, well, if you believe in Abraham and his God, you must believe the same things. But it wouldn't be true. In other words, it's easy to say, well, well, if you're children of Abraham, well, then... You're followers of Abraham's faith. But he doesn't assume that. So in other words, it would be so easy. Sometimes someone will say, well, um, I'm a Christian. Or even I believe in Jesus. And what's easy to just take that and run with it and say, oh, that's good to know. Okay, we're, that means you're a fellow believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Christ. You're born again. We have to be careful how labels are used and, and be careful of... of um, of accepting that just on the face value. So Jesus could say, yes, you are descendants of Abraham. Yes, that label works for you. But spiritually, it's a different matter. In verse 40, he says, now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham didn't do that. And here's where he's saying it. You say you're children of Abraham. It doesn't fit. Here I am telling you God's truth and you are seeking to kill me. That's not Abraham. By the way, I have to notice something for you here. In verse 40, he says, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Now, notice earlier in this passage, he already said, 
I, I, I learned this truth when I was with the, my father. When he says the from God here, it's the same expression with, my, with God. So he has just subtly said, my father is God. Because you see, you see the equation there? I heard this truth from my father. I heard this truth from God. What's that mean? His father is God. It's kind of a, a subtle statement. But, and some people wrestle with, why didn't Jesus just flat out say, I am the Messiah? Why didn't Jesus just say, I am God in the flesh? Notice how much he's been saying, I'm, fr- I'm not from here. I was sent here from my father. But he doesn't just directly say, I am God in the flesh. I am the Messiah of promise. He isn't that direct. And some people say, you know, and some Bible critics will say, because he didn't believe that. Jesus was, or another one, Jesus is just now starting to discover that he was the Messiah. I don't think so. No, I think he's being wise. Because if he just made that statement, people would run with it. Let me make up and imagine this did not happen. I wasn't in the room. And if I was, it didn't happen. But if you've been watching much about the hurricane, you've seen, for example, Governor DeSantis coming up and talking about what's happened, what he's going to do, all right? Now, let's just imagine he started off by saying, now, when I run for and am elected as president, I will address the problem of the hurricane more effectively. But let me tell you what we're doing right now. And then he spent an hour talking about what he would do right now for the Florida. What do you think the headlines would say the next day? Governor DeSantis declared he's running for president. And you start, didn't he talk about the hurricane? What's wrong with this guy? Why didn't he talk about the hurricane? In other words, they're going to take that one phrase, jump on it, and miss the whole message. They do that all the time. The press does that all the time. But you know what? We do too. If I can put it in a, in a lower level. If I am in the room either talking to Barb or talking to my dog, and somehow the word walk comes out of the mouth. Nothing else that is said is heard. She starts doing spins. She starts running back and forth to the door because she's assuming that means we're going for a walk. You see what I'm saying? She takes that one idea and runs with it. Jesus knows if he gets up and says, I'm God in the flesh, I'm the Messiah. When they hear Messiah... They're thinking, get your shores sharp. He's going he's to lead us in battle against the Romans. I'm the Messiah, but not the Messiah you're expecting. I am coming to conquer, not Rome, but sin. I am coming to deal with man's greatest problem. And it's not taxation. It's the problem of the heart and sin. And I'm going to do that not by conquering and killing, but by being killed and giving my life a ransom for many. But see, if he'd started off like that, no one would hear him. And so you see how he gently brings along the ideas. I'm telling you what I heard from my father. I'm telling what I heard from God. Now someone who's listening would say to his friend, why, he just declared that God is his father. And so he is saying it. But the problem is the people want to kill him because he's telling God's truth. Abraham welcomed 
God's truth. He didn't reject it. Now he says, you're claiming Abraham's your father. You want to kill me for giving you the truth. Abraham didn't do that. Now I wonder if in his mind our Lord is going back uh, 2,000 years to when he came and visited Abraham. And if you want to see this, you could find this in Genesis 18. The, the account is given how Abraham was there in his tent and you know, out in the doorway. And um, all of a sudden he saw three people approaching him. And it becomes clear from this, one is the angel of the Lord, which is God incarnate and two angels. Because later on it says he's talking to God and the two angels are heading off. God has come to announce, he said, I'm bringing judgment on Sodom for their sin. The wickedness has reached a level I have to bring judgment. And so I'm going to tell Abraham, my servant, what I'm doing. Now Abraham was troubled. For one reason, Lot was down in Sodom. And he thought about the people there. And so he starts to remember talking to God. What if there's 50 righteous? Would you, would you destroy that whole city if there's 50 righteous? And it, and it goes on. But, but the point is, he believes God's word. He does not reject the truth. He submits to the truth. But he received, remember when he saw God coming with those two angels, he ran to them, welcomed them, honored them. And so when, when Jesus can say, you say Abraham's your father, you want to kill me. That's not what Abraham would do. Jesus may be thinking back the last time he sat with Abraham right there. He even offered them a meal. He didn't try to kill me. You are not Abraham's spiritual children. Physically, genetically, spiritually, no. He goes on, verse 41. But instead, you do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we're, born, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Notice they're now making a change. Now they've, they've just uh, um, given themselves uh, uh, an advance. They're no longer just sons of Abraham. They're sons of God. I think what that's going on here is they recognize he's talking about spiritual fatherhood. And so they're saying our spiritual father is God. We're not born to fornication. All throughout the Old Testament, it, it taught, uh, worshiping idols was, was put in terms of uh, infidelity and adultery. And God said, you're my people. Why are you chasing after these foreign gods? And they said, we are, we are faithful servants of God. Now, the Bible does speak of God being father to the nation of Israel. Uh, I'll just mention a couple of passages. In Deuteronomy 32.6. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father? Moses said to them in Deuteronomy 32.6. In 1 Chronicles 29.10. 1 Chronicles 29.10. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our father, forever and ever. Isaiah 63.16. Isaiah 63.16. Doubtless you are our father, though Abraham was ignorant of us, and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer. Isaiah 64, 8. And 64, 8. Now, O Lord, you are our father. In Malachi 1, 6, God says, A son honors his father. Malachi 1, 6. A son honors his father, 
and a servant his master. If I then am your father, where is my honor? So the Old Testament spoke of God as father of the nation. We don't see father of an individual as we would now cry out. Jesus said, you know, we're to call him father. But as an, he was father of the nation. So they're, they're right in saying that. Yes, Abraham's their father. God is their spiritual father. Well, verse 42. As in, if God, he, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. If in your heart he is your father, not just father over the nation, but if he is your spiritual father personally, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. No true, uh, when he speaks, uh, so he sent me. We'll stop there. Jesus makes a sound argument. If God were their father, they would accept Jesus. And not just accept, they would love Jesus. If God were your father, you would love me. Because he sent me. That is a very important statement. If God is your father, you love Jesus. If God, if you have a relationship, a true saving relationship with God, if God is your spiritual father, then you can, it, it is demonstrated by the fact you love Jesus. And what that means is if you do not love Jesus, you do not know God. In other words, some will say any religion works as long as you're sincere about it. Whenever I hear that claim, you know, all that matters is that you're sincere in your religion. I can't help but think of Charlie Brown. You know how he never won a baseball game? And it shows him dejected, walking off the field. And I can't remember the, the score now. I'll just make it up, 168 to zero. How can we lose so terribly when we were so sincere? It's not sincerity. And so what Jesus is saying, if you know God, then you, you do love me. In other words, you know the living God through Jesus Christ. And if someone claims to know God, and so that's where the label, oh, we're of Abraham. Someone may say, I'm a Christian. And yet there is no love of Jesus Christ. No worship of him, no obedience to him, no dedication to him then there's something wrong with the claim. He said, if, if you know God, you love me, Jesus said. In verse 43, he goes on, why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to. You have a spiritual problem. You are not receiving what I'm saying. You're not embracing what I'm saying because you are spiritually incapable. It's, and I've said this again and again, and John's making this clear. It's, the issue of faith ultimately is not intellectual, being convinced of facts. Ultimately, facts are a part of it. But fundamentally, it's a matter of the will. A will that embraces, that submits, that bows before Christ and says, all right, your way. I, I cannot do it. You're right, I am a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I'm entrusting myself into your hands. I receive your salvation. And I'm entrusting myself into your hands, your will. It's a matter of the will, but he says, you're not capable. 
We see that in other passages of Scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.12. Paul says, We've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. When we trust in Christ as Savior, when we become a, you know, God works in our heart by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. He's saying, and Paul will talk about elsewhere as being spiritually dead. You are not spiritually able to receive the truth. And I, I used the illustration, I think, Wednesday night of maybe you, you have a really old car and it's got, uh, even before tape decks, all it has is an AM radio. And you decide to be, you know, you've polished it, it's shiny, you go out for a ride, and you turn on the radio and you want to find your fa favorite FM station. Um, well, guess what? You're not going to hear it. Because an AM radio can't receive an FM signal. Or worse yet, can't receive the satellite signals. Or maybe try it out, some of us will, maybe some of you even still are driving a car with a tape deck. And you try and stick that CD in there. It's not going to work, is it? Nowadays, we don't even have this tape decks or CDs, right? It's all, but we won't get into that. Here's the point. Um, if, if there's no spiritual enabling, then there's no ability to receive the truth. And that's what he's saying. Is you do not understand what I'm saying. You don't embrace it. Not because of a problem up here, but because you are not able, spiritually able, because your heart is still rejecting and rebellion and resistance. And so the question might be asked, well, if Abraham's not their spiritual father, who is? Good question. Verse 44. You are of your father the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie... He speaks from his own resources, for he's a liar and the father of it. Well, he, boy, this is bold. He's, you know, again, he doesn't start off with this, but he's slowly showing them, you're rejecting my message, even though I come from God. Abraham didn't do that. You're not, following, you're not showing that your, your father is Abraham or your spiritual father is God. And the only other alternative, your father, spiritual father, is the devil, is Satan. And how does that show? Because it's coming out in their attitudes and their actions. They want to murder Jesus, and they said, Satan is a murderer from the beginning. How, what does he mean by that? Well, the beginning, back, go back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, after God created everything and said everything is good, Satan came into the garden, already he had rebelled, and he started tempting Eve. And what did he say? Do not believe God's word. God said, if you eat of this tree, you will die. And he, he quotes that and says, you will surely not die. He calls God a liar. And he, in a sense, brings death. Because when Adam and Eve eat of the tree, when they disobey God, spiritual death then becomes a part of the human experience. All their descendants inherit the sin germ and are spiritually dead. 
He's saying, you're like your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he's a liar. That's who he is. We see, by the way, his murderous ways later on in this book, John 13, 2. Supper being ended, the, ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, uh, sin, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. Why is Satan such a murderer? Why does he take delight in killing people? It boils back to, again, a hard attitude. He is rebelling against God. He hates God. And the struggle is, every human being is created in the image of God. Every single human being is created in the image of God and bears the image of God and bears, for that reason, value and worth. It would be like someone who mm, hates someone, what, say a political party, and maybe you, you, you're, you're, you absolutely hate the other guy, and then you find yourself in a gallery with nothing but portraits of that person. Now, what you should do is just leave. But someone with a hateful heart might start vandalizing, painting over the portraits, whatever it might be. Well, that's Satan. Every human being is, is to him a reminder because they bear the image of God and, and God has put his mark of love on them. And so to, in spite and in hatred, he is a murderer. He, that's why he brought in courage to bring sin into creation. And that's why when we hear in the streets of America today, death and violence, where do you think that's coming from? Not people trying to please the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Satan moving hearts. When we look at the abortion issue, why would Satan take delight in that? Every unborn child bears the image of God. And this is his way of desecrating the image of God he hates. Now that comes out, for example, in Genesis 9-6. Whoever sheds man blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made them. So God is saying murder is a direct attack on the image of God. Satan's a murderer. He's also a liar, an enemy of the truth. He says he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in it. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own resources in my translation, but literally, you might notice that's in italics. He speaks of his own nature. It's, it's his nature to lie. It's just, that's who he is. The truth isn't in him. He's just a liar by nature. He's the opponent of God, so he attacks God's image. He's the opponent of God's character. God is, by definition, truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said to, them, said to him, I am the way and the truth. In John 15, 26, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit and called him the Spirit of truth. When Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, 17, he said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Why does God hate a lie? Because he is truth. A, a lying is, is, the, is, is, is opposite to his character. And so Satan is a liar. He's the opposite of God's character. And so these people that are talking to Jesus, they're lying and they're planning to kill him. Who's the, they're acting like their daddy. So as we look over this passage, it's really clear and important to notice. We see again, it's not, salvation is not a matter of works and earning God's approval. 
our works reveal our heart. Remember, you know, judge a tree by its fruit. Every single one of us needs to be born again. If we are not, we are spiritually dead. We cannot see the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. We need to be born spiritually as well as physically. Are you a child of God? It will show in your conduct and your character. The value of every human being. The value of truth. And so we see from this that if we dishonor human life or we dishonor the truth, we dishonor God. And if, it, if that's our consistent character, then do we really know the Savior? Just to show you how big an issue of it, did you know we, well, it's not, we're not right there yet, uh, but April 30th, do you, do you know that's on the calendar? Is that on your calendar for something special? April 30th. Okay, show of hands. Anyone know about April 30th? It's National Honesty Day. I didn't know that. I don't know. It was as significant that it's two weeks after taxes are due. I'm not sure, but National Honesty Day, April 30th. It was started by um, uh, Mr. Goldberg in the 1990s as a way to honor the honorable and encourage honesty. It's been said, April begins with a day dedicated to lying, April Fool's Day, and should end on a day of, uh, with a higher moral note. So uh, well, the struggle I have with that is, does that mean that there's only one day a week, a year, you have to be honest? <laughs> Maybe that's the day you go into seclusion and don't speak for the day. But, but I mean, that's how it's such an unusual thing. We're going to have a, a day to remind people to be honest. There is a day to remind people to be honest. It's today. If you got out of bed, be honest. Well, verses 45 to 47, we see that the fundamental issue, they reject Jesus because they reject God. Verse 45, that because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. There it is. They reject Jesus because of the truth he brings. That shows you where their loyalties lie. They reject Jesus because they reject the truth he brings. It's interesting. So many people say, oh, yeah, Jesus is great. Jesus is wonderful. I, I'm with Jesus. And then you show them what Jesus teaches, and it's like uh, a, a disconnect. Well, I don't believe that. They don't believe the truth. That's why they re And that's rejecting Jesus. Verse 46, he says, which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He says, what is wrong with, is there something in me you're attacking? They're not attacking him because of any sin they can point to in his life. There's not a one of us that would feel confident saying that. Is anyone here, can anyone here point to a sin in my life? You know, there'd be, if I said that, there'd be a line running down that aisle right there. Yes, I, but, but Jesus could stand there in the temple among his enemies and say, can you point to any sin in my life? Silence. Crickets. And so he says, so why are you saying I'm a liar? That should tell you something. The Lord's point is it's not sin or evil in Jesus. It's that he offends them by speaking the truth. Don't you feel like that's where we are today? If you affirm God's truth, you're labeled things like liar, racist, 
fascist. It's, it's troubling for speaking the truth. Somehow they act as if truth has changed. And that reminds me of a, an article I saw someone mentioning it. A few years back, uh, Leadership Magazine passed on one of the Maxie Dunham's stories. It was about uh, when Lloyd Douglas, author of The Robe and other novels, was a university student. He lived in a boarding house. Downstairs on the first floor, an elderly and infirm former music teacher lived. They had a daily ritual. Douglas would come down the stairs, open the old man's door, and ask, Well, what's the good news? The gentleman would pick up his tuning fork, tap it on the side of his wheelchair, and say, That's middle C. It was middle C yesterday. It will be middle C tomorrow. It will be middle C a thousand years from now. The tenor upstairs sings flat. The piano across the hall is out of tune. But my friend, that is middle C. In the middle of everything else, there was something solid. You know, can you imagine maybe a student, uh, you know, playing something and the, you know, the teacher says, uh, play middle C for me. And they strike a key and he says, that's not middle C. And the teacher says, that's my middle C. And the teacher would say, you're flunked. <laughs> you go, I can't help you. That's where people are today. No, 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 that's my truth. No, middle C is always where it's been. We distort it. We confuse it. But the truth is not changing. So don't be surprised when people reject the message of the gospel. Don't take it personally. It's a spiritual issue. The problem is ultimately not with you, it's with God. On the other hand, make sure the problem is not with you, but with God. Peter warns people, if, you know, if you're being persecuted, don't be persecuted um, because you deserve it. You know, some people say um, they're offended with the gospel. No, no. You offended them all by yourself. <laughs> don't try and blame Jesus. You were so offensive they couldn't hear any message of Jesus. But on the other hand... Um, if you faithfully represent Jesus in our culture, many will take offense. In verse 47, Jesus said, He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. There it is. One test of, if are you truly, do you know God? Then you love Jesus. Another test, you hear, you receive, you welcome God's truth. He says, if you're of God, you hear and receive his word. By the way, this truth will help you to examine yourself. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, we're told, examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. What's a good test? Do I welcome, receive, believe God's word? Do I love Jesus? This will help us in, you know, where Jesus said, you know, judge a tree by its fruit. This will help you in evaluating the, the trees that are around us. Are they apple trees or nut trees? <laughs> you know, there's stuff on the internet. There's all, all kinds of opportunities. Here's your chance to evaluate them. Use these truths and when you examine teachers and churches. Do they believe and obey the truth? Or are they parrot the values of the culture around them for man's approval? 
It's so quick and easy to embrace the culture of our day. The truth is unchanging. Abraham Lincoln posed a, 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 a puzzle. How many legs does a dog have if you call the tail a leg? Four. Calling a tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. That's stunning today. In fact, I don't know that would be allowed to be taught in the schools today. Because it denies, well, that's my truth. No, a tail is a tail. It's not a leg. And Jesus is saying he is God's son. And he speaks God's truth. And just because you want to say that's not true, he's not my savior, I don't need to trust in him, that doesn't make it any less true. If someone were to be on the 85th floor of a building and jump out the window and say, but I'm not going to run into concrete when I land. You can say that for all 84 floors. But eventually, you're going to be confronted by the truth. And what Jesus is saying is, if you do not embrace the truth of the gospel, you do not embrace Christ, and you do not know his Father. And so... Examine yourselves. Do I know Jesus Christ as Savior? Do I have a living relationship with God? Or am I satisfied with labels? Do I know Christ? Have I received his word? Am I trusting in him as Savior? Our Father, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, for the gentleness and yet the firmness with which he taught us truth. Father, I pray that we might be faithful messengers of Jesus. But firstly, Father, I pray that each one of us would know him as Savior. Father, if any have been satisfied with a label, may the words of, of Jesus today speak to the heart and change the heart to embrace the truth. Father, help us ever be sensitive that the real issue is a, is a heart issue. May our hearts be right with you. And Lord, may we be effective in speaking to hearts. And this I pray in Jesus' name.